Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I don't know if it's just that I'm getting older. Um, I don't think that's it. But I I feel like I, I don't know of a time that I can remember in my lifetime when it was more important that God's people pray. Um, how many of you recognize that the world is going crazy? I, I, the, the, it has devolved more quickly than I ever could have imagined. Um, I want you to think about this election cycle. 20 years ago, could any of you comprehend any of this going on? It's just, it's just amazing what's happening. And then when you look at the world itself and the way that morality in the world is just, it's devolving. And the entertainment industry is becoming worse and worse. There are so many things that are going on. And then you look in the individual homes. And and I'll tell you this, I, I can't remember a time as pastor when I have been busier in counseling people and trying to help families and to bring biblical hope to families. And let me just tell you this. I love doing that. So when you hear me say I'm doing it more, that is not a complaint. I am so happy to be able to help. That's what God has called me to do. Teach the Bible and help people. That's, that's the calling of my life. But when I, when I do talk to people, it, it feels like more than any other time in the almost 20 years that I've been pastor here, that there are more issues going on in families and the things that people are dealing with. And what is the answer to all of it? It's prayer, and it's how to know how to pray. And let's go to Matthew chapter 6. What, uh, what brought about, what prompted this message was I was discipling with uh, Jeff Bradshaw, and we're on the prayer lesson, and I realized just how little he knows about prayer, and I thought there are probably... Uh, no, I'm kidding. We, just, we had a great discussion about prayer and as I was explaining some things to him as we were talking, I, I said to him, you know what, I think I'm going to preach this on Sunday. I think that's what I'm going to do. And because I enjoyed talking with him about it so much, and I think that there are some misunderstandings about prayer that happen in broader Christianity. Um, I think that, and, and, and we'll see that. So let's start reading in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Take heed that ye do not take your alms before men. Of course, so this is Jesus Christ teaching. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men. What are alms? What are alms? That's charity. That's giving. And as a part of the Jewish religion, charity is an important part of it. And if you are speaking to a Jewish person, they would talk about their righteousnesses. We're doing our righteousnesses. Can you imagine? What are you doing today? Righteousnesses. That's interesting, isn't it? And so the alms were a huge part of that. And Jesus Christ is dealing here with the way that they are giving. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. Can you imagine? We have our offering. Can you imagine? Josh Spicer pulls out his trumpet. Everybody looks around. <laughs> Can you imagine? But that's what they would do. 
They would actually blow a trumpet as they carried their money and they would give their little bit and then they would pray publicly and draw attention to themselves. Jesus Christ is saying, stop it. Don't do that. Okay, so look at the text. Verse 2 again. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Now look at this. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. Isn't that interesting? What is their reward? People seeing them. People seeing them. But when thou doest alms, let not thy right hand know what thy... Uh, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, there's a lot to look at in this text. And Lord, I want to honor you in it. I want this to be a help. But Lord, most of all, I want you to... We're, we're asking you, please speak to us through your word. Help us to know who we are supposed to be, who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so one of the things that you're going to see in this text, if you look at the next verse, verse 5, and when thou prayest, so what you have is giving... And then praying, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And I want you to see, just by way of introduction, the difference in the way that Jesus Christ taught and what you'll hear on Christian radio or in many other places. Because what Jesus is doing is he is taking the foremost religious people of his time. You see this? And he's saying, don't be like them. And he is pointing to people and he's identifying specific behaviors that everyone knows these people are doing. And he's saying, don't do that because they are hypocrites and they're going to receive no reward from God for that. Now, how many of you agree that's what Jesus Christ is saying? If you agree with that, raise your hand. Okay, in the, in the overflow, I'm looking at you right now. Raise your hand. Some of you aren't. Okay. Was that kind of weird? Is that a little weird? Yeah. Isaac's like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. So, just by way of instruction, now the object of the Christian life is Christ-likeness. Is that fair? The object of the Christian life is Christ-likeness, and the object of the Christian preacher ought to be Christ-likeness. And yet we live in a time when people, they freak out if you say, okay, here's what this church does, and it's wrong. This is what this religious, religious leader said, and it's wrong. Don't be like that. That's wrong. If you say that you're divisive and you're not loving, but I've got to tell you, the Bible is very clear on many issues and on this one in particular. Now, look at what it says in verse 5 again. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What is repetition in the Bible? So what is he saying here? They have their reward. The Bible says, lay up your treasure in heaven. We're not supposed to live for this earth. We're supposed to live for eternal rewards. And so what... what Jesus is teaching the, the Jewish hearers here. Now, remember, this is before the death, burial, and resurrection. 
He's telling people how to behave in the kingdom that he comes to establish. But what, what he's telling them is, you do not get reward when you do, th- do things for men. You get reward when you do things for God, and the glory goes to him, not to you. Okay? Then, look at what it says. <clears throat> Verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So now the the heartbeat, the the text, the focus for my message is in verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So my message, the title of my message is Intelligent Prayer. Intelligent Prayer. The Bible says, look at, look at the text again in verse 7, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sorry, it's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 2 is also a wonderful passage of Scripture. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, and look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Do you see that? In the vanity of their mind. So, we're not supposed to use vain repetitions, and we're not supposed to walk in the vanity of our mind. What is that? Vanity is emptiness. It's nothingness. It's nothingness. Vain repetition is just saying nothing. You're just saying nothing. You're just talking to hear yourself speak. Vain repetitions. The vanity of your mind is the problem that many Christians have. They just do not think. They don't think. And I'll tell you, you can understand that we have a culture that doesn't think. Has anyone been to McDonald's lately? And you go through the drive-thru. And you see, and and you get to the drive-thru, and it splits off into two lanes. Has anyone been there? You know what I'm talking about? You have two lanes. And people can't do it. I mean, if I wasn't saved, I'd probably be in jail right now from killing someone in the McDonald's drive-thru. They can't think. And then the other thing that they can't do is they don't recognize that the line backs up onto the street. And really, the best way to keep that from happening is to pull forward. Just please. Just pull up a little bit more so someone else can order. Just pull up. It's amazing how stupid people are. Now, don't judge me. How many of you have felt the exact same way? Would you raise your hands? Sometimes you'll roll down your window and you'll be real nice. If you pull up, we can order. Can you pull up a little bit? Man, I, I bet you I've been cussed out five times in the McDonald's drive-thru just for asking people to pull up a little bit. They, they can't do it. 
They can, this is too hard. And then when you go inside and you ask them for something there's no button for, I don't think we have that. Now, I will say this. Economically, that demonstrates that we're overemployed, so you have unemployable people trying to do jobs. Okay, so that's a political statement for today. It, but it, it is amazing how people can't think today. Are you all with me on this? Do you agree with me? My goodness. Some of you teachers, you'll be teaching the kids, and the parents come in, and you told my son to sit down. Yeah, it's, 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 it's school. Um, and, and you have a conversation with them, and you're just looking at them like, what are you doing? That's the world that we live in. Is that right? You know, I, I can, it, it's unbelievable. You have, I'll go to, I'll preach a funeral or I'll be at a funeral. And if you have done this, please, I don't mean to offend, but you'll, you have Christians and you go by the casket and it's full of Ohio State gear. You know what, when you get to heaven, you're just not going to care about Ohio State. Is that true? Do you all agree with me on that? People are losing their minds. Christians. Christians that are so sidetracked by everything that's going on in the world. And I'll say this. We have an information surplus. Right? And remember, whenever you have too much of anything, it, the value of it goes down. Supply and demand. So the reason that diamonds are valuable is because there aren't a lot of them. Is that right? The reason that information is becoming less valuable is there's, there's so much of it, and much of it is just not important. And I, I would be curious, and I'm not going to do it, um, but it, I would be curious to know how much useless information Grace Baptist provides on social media. Two the surplus of information. You have an opportunity to communicate, and are you communicating things of eternal value, or are you communicating things and demonstrating that the thing that's the most important to you is your child's tumbling class? Now, Jacob tumbled, but that's just because he was uncoordinated. There was no class involved. <laughs> I liked that one. That was, that was, that was pretty good. It... It is, but it's interesting. I, I just can't imagine taking the opportunity that you have, the platform that you have, to have an eternal impact. But 98% of it is just inanities. It's, it's, it's nothingness. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Are you with me on this? If you don't, this introduction is going to get really long. I'm going to illustrate a bunch of it. it. Isn't it true, though, that we live in a world where we're overcome with information, and the more information there is, the, the, the less you're able to process it all? And so what most people do is they just stop thinking. That's really bad when you pray. That's really bad. How many of you have been, you're sitting there with your wife, and she's talking to you, and then you hear this, the dreaded words. Are you even listening to me? <laughs> now, I just want to know, how many of you guys have experienced that? Would you raise your hands? Have you experienced that? Some of you guys are afraid to raise your hands. We have the family message coming. It's going to be okay. What's happening? Your wife wants you to be engaged in the conversation. 
Now, to be fair, you've told the story five times, ladies. You know, you have said more than he can hear, all right? So let's, let's be fair. The Tim Hawkins thing, you know, he blows the whistle. Penalty on the man. He wasn't listening. Penalty on the woman. You know, you've said the same thing 5,000 times or whatever. And it's just true. That's the constant state of marriage. But what your wife is asking you to do is to engage your mind, listen, for her. What she's saying is not important. Even to her. She's wanting to engage with you. Ladies, is that fair? Now, sometimes what you're saying is important, but a lot of times you're just talking. But what you're doing is you're interacting with your husband and you want him to be interested in you, interested in your life, interested in what's going on in the home, interested just in caring or knowing, letting you know that he cares what you think and are thinking about. And you want to have that interaction with your husband. You're asking him to turn his brain on. Amen, ladies? And so, overflow, amen? They're more excited about it in the overflow. Do you know what God wants you to do when you pray? Turn your brain on. How many of you have ever been praying and found your mind wandering? Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me all the time. I mean, that's a shock, right? But... So what I have to do is I have to pray on purpose. I have to pray intelligently. And so let's look at this text, and I want you to see that in the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6, the word Father is used 10 times. That's interesting, isn't it? So the heart of this is not your prayer, it's not your giving, it's not your faith. The heart of this is your Father. Your father. So it's really important that we get that. So I've just got three points today, and we should be done here in the next couple of hours. So number one, we need a clear, biblically informed knowledge of who God is. Is that good? We need a, in order to pray intelligently, we need a clear, biblically informed knowledge of who God is. So he is our father. He's our father. The word father is used ten times, as I said. And... Arno Gabeline said, the Father sees, the Father knows, therefore all is to be done before Him, the seeing and knowing one. So the key here is in this passage, relationship is primary. Relationship is primary. So if you walk up to some man and you just say, are you my father? No. And then you start asking them for stuff. How's that going to go? Do you know there are a lot of people in the world that are asking God for something and He's not their father? I was thinking of the Sandy Hook killings when that crazy person went and shot those children. And the cry was, where was God? When the school had kicked him out a long time ago. He wasn't allowed to be there. They're asking God to do something when they have absolutely no relationship to Him. And I will say this, I was disgusted when President Obama made such a big deal over it because he would have just as soon them been killed six years earlier. All of them. 
Hillary Clinton's the same way. How many of you have seen the commercial for Hillary Clinton about how much she loves children? Have you seen that? She wants to kill them. She's all for partial birth abortion. And because there are young children here, I won't describe it, but you all know what that is. We deliver the child partially and then, and then you know, take its life. I mean, it's just vulgar and disgusting. Horrible. And so what happens is people pray. They pray to God for our country. But many of the people who are praying are not His child. And God... Now, God's under no obligation to provide us with anything, is He? Even less is He under obligation to provide for those who are not His own. This idea... And this, this happened in the, the early 20th century. It, it, this, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man is from liberalism. And this concept that we are all God's children... Has anyone ever heard that statement? We're all God's children. That's not true. There are two spiritual families in the world. There's Satan's family and there's God's family. Jesus said to the Pharisees, You're of your father the devil. You're of your father the devil. He tells these, these uh, Jewish believers, He says, When you pray, pray our father. But He doesn't tell the Pharisees to pray our father because He's not their father. Satan is their father. And so the heart behind any true prayer is knowing who God is and then being sure that you have a father-child relationship with him. And the, how did you get into your family? You were either born or you were adopted. Is that right? And praise God, they're the same thing. I love that. If you want to do something really special, study adoption in the Bible. Because not only are we born again, we are also adopted into His family. And that makes us heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so you have to be that relationship is vital. And so you need to make sure, do you know for sure that if you died today, you would go to heaven? Do you know that? If you do not know that, you are not a child of God. You're a child of Satan. And if, if you're here and you've never heard that before, you may say, well, that's offensive. Well, when you go to the doctor and he says you have cancer, that's not offensive. It's a horrible pronouncement. But the good news is when something can be done. When I tell you that if you're not saved, you're a child of Satan, here's the good news. Something can be done. Jesus Christ will save you, you will be born again, and you become adopted into the family, and you are a part of the family of God. What a wonderful thing that is. And then you gain access to the Father in prayer, in a familiar relationship. The other thing that happens is when a person gets saved, they pray. This is um, Arnold Gabeline's commentary on Matthew, and he quotes a guy named Macintosh. This is such a great statement. No sooner had Saul of Tarsus passed from death unto life than the Lord says of him, Behold, he prayeth. Doubtless he had, as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, said many long prayers, but not until he saw that that just one and heard the voice of his mouth could it be said of him, Behold, he prayeth. Saying prayers and praying, listen, saying prayers and praying are two totally different things. I want, to, I want to read that again. Saying prayers and praying 
are two totally different things. If I give you a prayer to read, that has nothing personal to you. All right? Saying prayers and praying are two totally different things. A self-righteous Pharisee may excel in the former. None but a converted soul can enjoy the latter. The spirit of prayer is the spirit of the new man. The language of prayer is the distinct utterance of the new life. The moment a spiritual babe is born into the new creation, it sends up a cry of helpless dependence toward the source of its birth. Is that awesome? What's a baby do when it's born? Cries. Wants mama. Wants food. Right? (laughs) Chloe said to Shauna, babies cry a lot. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? She's so excited the baby comes, then some reality comes into the world. But I love that statement. The moment a spiritual babe is born into the new creation, it sends up a cry of helpless dependence toward the source of its birth. That's what prayer is. It's a cry of helpless dependence toward the source of our birth. Our Father. It's just a, it, it's a precious thing. Prayer. We need a clear, biblically informed knowledge of who God is. Now, tonight, I'm going to explain this to you. I have this statement here. How to obtain that relationship to God as our Father is not taught in the Gospel of Matthew. So I'm going to talk tonight at 5 o'clock. I'm going to teach you the key to understanding your Bible. And honestly, all of you need to be here because there's great error under, with a misunderstanding of that. So tonight, we're going to talk about that some more. So number one, we need a clear, biblically informed knowledge of who God is. Then number two, we need a clear, biblically informed knowledge of who we are. Of who we are. Now, I know that all of you parents have experienced this, where your child demands something from you. And you've seen it at the store. You know, there's a kid, mom's in the cart or whatever, pushing the cart. (laughs) Spiritually, she's in the cart and the child is pushing. But, But you've seen it and the kid reaches out and grabs something. Buy me this. You ever seen that happen? You ever seen that? I want this. No, you can't have that. Okay. How many of you have seen that happen? If you've ever done it, you really need to be here for the family series. Okay, because what you're doing is you're raising an inmate. But Okay, so now, it's really important that you see this. When a child demands something from a parent, it's the parent's responsibility to teach that child that the parent is under no obligation to provide anything other than food, shelter, and clothing. Now, parents, that is your obligation. And the Bible tells us God will provide that for us. Isn't that wonderful? Beyond that, you do not demand Xbox. You do not demand PlayStation. You don't demand a car. So Jake just turned 18. I I can just see this conversation. He comes, Dad, where's my car? (laughs) I can't even comprehend a conversation like that. And yet people pray to God that way. 
they have an understanding that God owes them something. Now, some of it is because of the false teaching of the Word of Faith movement where you can tell Jesus Christ what to do and He has to do it. i got to tell you, that's blasphemy. Can you imagine going to God and say, God, I've got this need. You owe me. I've done so much for you. Holy cow. How many of you, that's a little awkward even to hear it that way. And yet often when things, when things are rough, things are going on, that's the attitude that we approach God with. How could you do this to me? I just spit all over these guys right here. I don't know if you can see it on the camera, but it was awesome. But you look at God and you say, how could you do this to me? How could you? You need to know who you are. Man, I'm just a saved sinner. And I owe everything to Him. And as a gracious God, He says, ask me for anything. Ask me for anything. And then he says this, if you pray, if you ask me according to my will, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I need to understand, first of all, who God is. Then I need to understand who I am. He owes me nothing. He owes me nothing. Anything that God gives me, it's simply grace and it's mercy. And I've got to tell you, he's given me so much. I mean, it's. I was telling people, several people, this week, what a wonderful life God has given me. And so imagine if I get an attitude where I go to him, you owe me. Man, that's just like that little kid in the shopping cart demanding something from their mother. And it's so unsightly, but it's really unsightly in an adult. And so I need to know who God is and I need to know who I am. And that who I am is I am a sinner who deserves hell who has a relationship with an unbelievably, infinitely merciful and gracious Father. And I come to Him with respect and with awe and with fear and with love. And I ask Him for things according to His will. So number one, we need a clear biblically informed knowledge of who God is. He's our Father. We need a a clear biblically informed knowledge of who we are and that we are sinners who deserve nothing. And then thirdly, we need a clear, biblically informed knowledge of what He has promised us. One of the big problems, I'm going to deal with some of this tonight. I won't say much about it this morning. But one of the big problems that people have in Christianity is they're asking God for something He never promised. You know there are people praying right now that God will send revival to America. They're praying that God would bless America. We need to pray. Here's what we need to pray. Lord, help America repent. There's not much in America right now that, that, we, that we ought to pray that God would bless. Now, look, I'm not Reverend Wright. Remember the, the rant that he had, not God bless America? And he was saying that because of his Marxism. He hates capitalism. He hates private property. That, that, that's ridiculous. What I'm talking about is the sin that is evident and pervasive in our society, how could any Christian in good conscience say, bless that? How could you pray, God bless Donald Trump? God bless Hillary Clinton. How about God save Donald Trump? How about God save Hillary Clinton and change their hearts because they are wicked, wicked people? Do you see what I'm saying? 
People are claiming promises that are not given to them. God, God has said that He will restore Israel. He never promised to restore the United States. I'm going to show you the United States in Scripture. Go to Isaiah chapter 55. Have you ever asked this question? I'm sorry, it's Isaiah chapter 40. Have you ever, have ever heard, you know, is the Bible, is the United States in the Bible mentioned in the Bible? How many of you have heard that question asked? It's hard to raise your hand and turn the Bible at the same time, I know. Here is the United States in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Look at verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. There's the United States in the Bible. Doesn't that make you feel good? The arrogance that American Christians have is astounding. The idea that Jesus is a Republican, it's just so blasphemous. Amen? It's just, it's awful. Now, are we to be involved in in our political system? Of course. We've been given the great privilege to live in this system where we have a say in what goes on here. We ought to be involved in it. But you understand there are more nations in the world than the United States and that Jesus Christ died for every individual in every one of those places. And the only nation that God, that God has chosen as His own is the nation of Israel. So all of those promises that people claim for a godly nation and apply it to the United States, it's completely inappropriate. It would be like me and I... I you know, my father has gone home to be with the Lord, and I want to claim Dave Spicer as my father, and I want to drive his Jeep. It's probably Lila's Jeep. but And so I, I go in and I demand access to the Jeep. Now, because we're friends, he'd probably let me use it. But there would come a point where he would say, get your own car, or Lila would. It, it's really important that we see this. So that's exactly what people are doing when they go to the Old Testament and they make a promise for God to restore a nation when it's dealing with the nation of Israel and you apply that to the United States of America when the Bible says the United States of America is all nations before Him are as nothing and they are counted to Him less than nothing and vanity. Do you know the best way to pray what God, pray according to God's will? Pray Scripture. Read the Bible and then pray that. Read the Bible and pray that. I'm going to give you an illustration of it and we'll be done. Go to Colossians. I have repeated this several times this year because I'm trying to establish it as a foundation for our thinking. All right, so here's Colossians. Notice I didn't go to Matthew and what is called the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to explain that tonight. So look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire. So I am discipling uh, Jeff Bradshaw right now. I mentioned that earlier. So here is the way that I ought to pray for Jeff. All right? Desire that Jeff might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And that Jeff might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, 
being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And I I pray that Jeff will be strengthened with all might according to God's glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. How about that? How many of you think that would be a good thing to pray for somebody? And do you know what God has promised to do? He's promised to answer that because it's according to His will. See, if I pray for Jeff's prosperity, Lord, bless his business. Well, what if God has a plan other than that? See, I need to pray that every spiritual blessing that God has for Jeff, that he will give him. Amen? Now, I'm not praying that his business will fail. But what if God... Do you see how we pray things for people? And there's a good chance what we're praying might be against His will. See, so what we need to do, number one, we need a clear, biblically informed knowledge of who God is. He's our Father. We need a clear, biblically informed knowledge of who we are. And that is that we are sinners. We do not deserve anything from God. And then we need a clear, biblically informed knowledge of what He has promised us. You see, we live, we are are impacted by our culture. And we honestly believe that we deserve the American dream. Do you know what we deserve? Everyone say it out loud. We deserve hell. Anything more than that is the wonderful grace of God. What have we been talking about? Intelligent prayer. With your mind engaged, knowing who God is, who you are, and what the Bible says. If you pray that way, do you know what's going to happen? God's going to answer your prayers, and you're going to see amazing things happen. Why? Because now you are interacting with the creator of the universe who wants to help you. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.